Netflix presents Inside Joke Space Force. I'm your host, Jimmy O. Yang. Grab your exoskeleton and BB guns and let's go inside Space Force. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about episode 105, Space Flag of Netflix's Space Force, written by Brent Forrester and directed by D. Reese. Armed with weapons that are less than intimidating, Space Force soldiers, led by General Nair, play war games with their Air Force rivals. Question, if we win all the events based on science and computing, do we really need to compete in lunar laser tag? Oh, absolutely. The skirmish is worth 100 points. The rest of the contest is worth, I don't know, let's say 30. So, in other words, it basically boils down to a slap fight on the moon. So skirmish. 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 Our guests today are head writer and the writer of this episode, Mr. Brent Forrester, and director extraordinaire, D. Reese. And joining us later will be our location manager, Kyle Sucker. Welcome, guys. Hey, Jimmy. What's going on? Hey, Brent. What's up, Jimmy? So the first season of The Writer's Room, Brent, was there, like, how did you guys find that balance between comedy and the grand, grand settings? It's a back and forth. You know, the writer's room is always a place of tremendous trial and error. And even the tone in the first season, you know, you're inventing a thing that does not exist. And Mm -hmm. in season two, you can go, oh, we're making that again. But in this one, you know, we talked about tone a lot. You've got Greg and Steve coming out of the office, which is the great naturalistic TV show of all time, right? Mm -hmm. But this show did not want to be that. It it resisted it. It wanted always to be bigger. And you have to go with that sometimes. The the show we talked about a lot, and I'm sure Dee had these conversations too as a director, was Dr. Strangelove came up a lot as as a possible tone for this kind of show. Mm -hmm. But it's trial and error, yeah. Yeah, because usually when you talk about tone, uh, you have a comp. Right. Like, oh, this show is going to be like The Office or this show is going to be like The Simpsons, uh, Strange Love. But this, I think we created our own tone. It is visually uh, even much bigger than Strange Love at the end of the day. And and uh, it's not like The Office at all. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Hopefully in the future, people will look at, oh, it's going to be the next Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> D, how did you get uh, how, how did you get involved in this? And I was going to say, like, even like going back to the idea about tone, like even like on the page, it's like you're trying to figure out how seriously the characters are taking themselves mm-hmm. versus how we're the audience are reading them. So it's like this double layer thing. And then talking to Greg, I was like, oh, no, they're like serious as shit. Like they're like earnest, you know, and then, you know, Mallory's kind of like the side eye kind of like <laughs> a scant like POV. But yeah, but I met Greg in Greece, like randomly wow. we were at this like Oxbelly lab. And like, we're just there, like, you know, we, like mentoring other filmmakers. What's and an so, ox belly lab? So it's this lot, it's, it's about ox bellies. And so you go and you talk about vice. And again, it's like, you know, it's like this lab in like Greece where this guy, uh, Christos, like founded to like basically get Greek filmmaking going. And so, yeah, I went there and hung out. It's like you hang out like on a resort, basically. Wow. And talk about films. It's insane. And yeah. it's a free like, pay, to- paid for vacation? basically yeah willem dafoe was there greg was it was like this whole cool little group and so like that's how we met and i didn't we didn't talk about space force then and then like a couple months later i got an email like hey are you interested and i was like yeah of course so yeah man. yeah because you you came from like the big feature film world mudbound uh bessie yeah. great films and you directed some tv stuff empire uh and and a lot of other stuff do you find it challenging to go from the film scope to a TV scope? Not necessarily. Like, it's all acting. It's all the same. For me, the reason to do this was, like, Steve Carell, John Malkovich. For me, as a director, I'm like, interested in, like, actors. So it's like, where can I play with cool actors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so with, like, Last Thing, it's like, okay, Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, Steve Carell, John Malkovich. I'm always going for, like, work on somebody I haven't done before. And, like, with, like, the other TV stuff I've done, it's like, there's no reason to do episodic unless you're getting to like, like play, play with a new toy. Mm-hmm. And so for this, like the new toy was VFX. The new, the new toy is comedy. I'm like, I've never even fucking done comedy. Like, how does it even work? Yeah. So h- how did you approach it? I mean, uh, did you just storyboard all this stuff? Do you visualize everything? H- how did you pay, play into the comedy? Because I think not to knock any other directors. I think we had a great group of directors in season one. Yeah. But you gave us some of the most thoughtful acting notes, which you rarely get in TV, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, with comedy, I mean, for me, it's like you guys have it. Like to me, like you guys know the characters 
more than I'm ever going to know the characters. So like, I'm not going to try to like give you like deep character notes. It's just like about each scene, like how to try to come at it unexpectedly. And honestly, the hardest part was like, you guys give so much. It's like, I'm like, come on, make the show an hour because there's so many other performances and so many <laughs> other pieces. I'm like, they could have done that and that and that. So it's just like, honestly, in comedy, it's like timing. I'm realizing it's really like getting like a wider frame. There's so mm. much of the, the, it's like the, the humor is like, it's like in, in the reaction. So it's like letting somebody say something and not having to cut to the reaction, like letting it all like, <laughs> like ping pong, like in the same fucking frame. So honestly, just like letting you guys take it and just like figuring out like where to put the camera to make it cool. And, yeah. and you did a great job of making it cool. Uh, and also, if I may try to elaborate on that, yeah. is you have some very interesting coverage. Because I think TV, so much, you just worry about just st- standard coverage. But you really have interesting coverage. And so many times, I didn't even know, oh, that was my coverage. But, oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that felt kind of freeing because I was yeah. like, oh, shoot, I wasn't even worried about how I looked because I was just natural acting and reacting as if it was a play. Did you do that intentionally uh, so you don't you don't make the actors nervous? I mean, I was just trying to like, just figure out like what's important in the frame or what's important, like whose scene is it, you know, and figure out what's important about it and then like compose it so that they get it, you know? So like when you and Nared are doing like the rundown mm-hmm. of like what the games were, what the space war is and like you're like, or space flag and you're like explaining like pants you're like iron man pants it's like you're kind of like explaining to rose of nimwits like <laughs> how's it going to work and so then the funniest thing was then like keep the nimwits in frame at all times because you see they're talking to like a brick wall you know in a way so yeah. um yeah just shit like that and like in like your um in like the kind of computer room mm-hmm. it was like okay everyone's like looking up like you want to get that angle like looking all these little faces like looking up at you and you in charge of it like you're driving like the enterprise you know so it's yeah. just like that kind of stuff that room is hard to keep fresh because it's it's scientists sitting we had the same problem yeah. on silicon valley like i think early on it's like how how do you make computer nerds coding an exciting show <laughs> right uh but i think there was some really interesting coverage and then as as, as fast as you zoom to the desert scenes which yeah, i wasn't yeah. there those days <laughs> i heard yeah, yeah. it was grueling it was it was painful it was a painful shoot it's like do all this in eight hours go you know and then we had two days but i mean just because actors were into it, everybody was excited. You're in your little fucking balloon vest and bobbling around. <laughs> D, that I remember when you came and you you had shown us where the space flag was going to take place, and it was totally you. You were like, yeah. it would be in this sand bowl. Yeah, and I, I remember just going, oh, oh, this is fantastic, and and you know that's just you as an artist because. They handed you a project. You created that. And it's the signature of the show. I was going to say that the common denominator with UD and, you know, Carell and Greg Daniels and The Office and Jimmy uh, and, and Malkovich is it, it's authenticity, really. It's that's because mm-hmm. that's the signature where D comes out. Sorry for being a D Reese nerd, but I just am. Uh, I love great directors. And, you know, D, D uh, was at was a Tish, right? And yeah. and made this and 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 was working for Doctor Scholes, right? The freaking people yeah. who make the insult for you, right? What? She yeah, she learned filmmaking, okay. making like ads for Doctor Scholes. Oh wow! And then she makes this movie Pariah, which is fucking beautiful. You watch four minutes of it on YouTube and you'll cry. It's so good. It's 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 so authentic. It's it's just D takes her craft and turns it on herself. Basically, it's autobiographical. Spike Lee uh, finds D. They. Well, he taught at NYU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mm. totally taught there. I got him like redress of the script. But yeah, it was just like about figuring out how to make stuff with like not a lot. <laughs> Amazing. By the way, Brent, I'm going to fire myself after this episode and you're going to host a podcast. This is, you're so good. This is so great. Watch this. I read your autobiography, Jimmy. And I'll say, you're just talking about authenticity. This dude comes from Hong Kong, right? Uh, read his book. Oh, God, it's so good. How to America. <laughs> oh, thank you, Brent. Oh, my God. Thank you. you. J- Jimmy was a champion ping pong player. Under 13, yes. Yes, now I can't play for <laughs> shit no more. And um, was famous. You were famous, right? You were a famous well, kid. I, I was on TV. And when you get on the local news in Hong Kong, it's a city state. So 7 million people, you're famous, man. So uh, they called me back to do a cable interview. And I was killing it. You know, I just had it. <laughs> As a kid. I, I've lost it since uh, I became nah. an adult. Yeah, but this is, look. This podcast is not about me. It's about you. Yes. Uh, and Brent, uh, 
how did you guys come up with this idea? First of all, like, is this a real thing that the military does? And are, uh, what about all the technology? Also, is that real? Okay, great question. So, you know, we're talking here about comedy and this art form, and this there's this paradoxical element that the more realistic you start out, the better. And so, you always want to try to start with something real, start with research. And we, you know, we fought a little against the the bigness, but as I say, the show wanted, especially in the visuals, to be a little bigger. So. So it, it does start real. It starts with Greg's obsession with the military industrial complex. Basically, he's legitimately afraid of the thing we should be afraid of, which is when billions of dollars are available, uh, that can corrupt shit. And it's gnarly when it gets corrupted in the world of war, because you basically have a motivation to create super killing machines. Right. So it's, it starts there. Um I personally, as a writer, I always like it when you hand me an episode where there's like a competition because those episodes always go great. It's like this side versus this side. And you always know, you know, when it ends and, it, and there's stakes, there's escalation, there's an ending. Look, uh, D, I don't know if you know this. Brent teaches a brilliant writing class uh, virtually right now. <laughs> and I am a student of Brent's. That's and right. uh, yeah, I think in the last class, you talked about how like the office basketball episode and everything competitions uh, just have a built-in stake. Yes, and a built-in structure. Yes, built-in structure. It's true. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like you know exactly like where the climax is going to be. But then the thing that's cool about this is like the emotional thing that's happening because Nayard and Mallory, it feels like it's where they first kind of cement, you know, this like next level spree decor. And oh, so yep. you got some gooey emotional thing happening and like, the, the, you know, this kind of climax like cements that so yeah yeah that's it that's it that's what uh you as a director brought out and that's the spine of it for sure it's like you got to put something emotional in it and we we knew that the go-to relationship was going to be you know steve and john they're like our two you know legends so that was that was fun they're like two poles and all the other space force team is like being pulled between them they're like right right Right. And by, by the way, tonally, I'm thinking of you, D, because this one was really interesting tonally. Okay. So when you talk about comedy, um, you know, this, <laughs> Greg coined this phrase on this episode where he said, we have to find the balance between the plausible and the comical. And I was mm. like, I immediately wrote it down in my little notebook, right? Mm. It was when we were looking at those balloons, right? Yeah. And it, we changed the color of the balloons at the last minute to black. It was like, at first you're like, you can't put balloons, that's crazy. But no, if they're black and they're small and it's just plausible enough, but it is fucking absurd. Yeah, except fuck Tony's. His is white and says press on it, right? That cracked me up. It was great, yeah. It's like just just shy of Fruit of the Loom, you know? <laughs> so fucking cool. So are exoskeletons a thing? Like, is that a real thing that you found from the military visor? Yeah, they, they and literally for that purpose. Like, uh, I mean, it's it's so expensive for so little benefit. It's like, if you have to march 20 miles, you'll be 10% less tired, you know? <laughs> right. They're real. Just ride a bicycle at that point. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so That's interesting because it's, it's very grounded. I think when people watch this, it's like, oh, these texts can totally be usable. And then, of course, when they bring out the knives and the little pokey things, you're like, oh, <laughs> it would be like this. So um, Air Force, I guess, with other military branches, this is actually a thing. They practice against each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. This is not unreal. And space flag is what that is called when like um, – Army plays Navy in a war games, you know. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, they call it Space Flags. That was the name of this episode. Yeah. I didn't know that Space Force was a thing until the show. Like, I read it's like, oh, haha, this is funny. It's like, no, 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 it's real. <laughs> <laughs> one, of my, oh, one of my favorite moments uh, is when Mallory shows up at the end with uh, the umbrella and the <laughs> poncho. Whose idea was that? I think that was Dee's idea. I don't know, man. I think it's scripted. My like my like the Save the Bees sticker and like the Midnight Special. Like that was me. <laughs> and, like and like the Kalima Shakti Day shit. But oh, I mean, yeah. I think yes. on the it was like it made sense because it's like you know BB repellent, the umbrella. I think that was all you, Brent. Yeah. Was oh, you, thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, the, we had a good writing staff there, and we you know 
we had good suggestions flying in. I don't, I don't know who that, that was. But yeah, those visual things really work. I've often felt that in the realm of the visual, you're actually somehow allowed to be a little more uh, exaggerated. You know, it goes back to this tone issue where if it's too big, it's silly, right? And silly mm-hmm. isn't funny. And that's when you embarrass yourself, where you literally think you made a good comedy and then you play it and you're like, oh my God, what have I done? And it happens, right? So, so the cure for that is just realism, naturalism, try to ground it. But then, you know, you poke out and see, with a little trial and error, see what you get. But the umbrella with the sound and everything of the pellets hitting it is a good joke. It's great. Yeah. I, I think we can put the most ridiculous things on John Malkovich and him being so amazing. He can ground everything. Yes. Yeah, he pulls it off with the boom. I just like the music. Like for me, like I wanted to have that, you know, the old NFL films sound. Yes. All that gritty Yeah, exactly. So that was the thing I love about just putting it in like because it gives a seriousness, but it, then it makes it actually ridiculous. So it does two things because it's like they're taking it very seriously, but then it also feels insane. And like all the slow mo and the war was like, it just made it more hilarious. And like, like for sure. It slowed down like the hilarity of like the deaths and like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. No, that, your, that music gag, by the way, is great. And it reminds me, I never think to use sound for comedy, but that's mm-hmm. a great example of it. Our composer's wonderful, uh, Carter Browell. That adds so much. Uh, the, the cuts you saw, did you see the composer uh, music on it already? I did. I, I saw it because I, I remember like in like just like the rough cut, like I kind of gave notes about the music mm-hmm. and I'm sending like references. So it was like, it's that old grainy NFL films music. Yeah. And then I guess they like did that and then it just totally works. Like the opening scene where it's da 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 and we're like panning down this row of soldiers. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like sets the stakes and then like the kind of soldiers keep breaking it. You know, like Nayard is like, that's what he's hearing like in his head. And then when they're like, oh, but mm-hmm. it's hot and I'm tired, then they like are breaking it, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Can I just yeah. pause and say, how lucky are we that we have D as a, a filmmaker here in our little sandbox? I mean, you know that D's best work is still ahead of her. My God, I can't pick up a newspaper without reading about D riffing with Santi Gold making something. I'm so, I, I want to watch this movie now that you're out making. And then people are going to look back and go, hey, you know, D Reese, the Steven Spielberg of her generation, she made a space force. That's what people are going to say. Yeah. Like, I'll be like, I can't believe I got to work with like Malkovich and Carell. Like, in the same scene like what the fuck like that's like dream how was it directing steve and malkovich i, I think it's so interesting in in episode one of this podcast yeah. steve was telling me because you know my first day i was intimidated it was steve greg everyone it was malkovich and i was just trying yeah. to act cool and steve yeah. was saying he was intimidated by malkovich too so as a director how how do you give those two legends some notes i mean honestly just give them space because i feel like you know with Comedians, especially, I feel like comedians are more self-critical mm-hmm. than like anything anyone else could ever say. And so it's more like you're just the opposite. It's more like, no, that was great. But, you know, do you want to try something else? So it's more just giving you guys like more leeway because you instinctually know that wasn't it or, oh, I want to do this other thing. Yes. So this is more just about giving you guys time and giving you like the extra takes. So it's honestly just like staying out of the way and like honestly just helping the camera tell the story that you're trying to tell because i mean you guys already know and you're, you beat yourselves up like instantly and so it's like <laughs> we are very yeah. self-deprecating and self-judgmental yeah. uh, that is yeah. so true because i uh nobody on this uh show but i've worked with some previous directors that's trying to do too much right trying yeah, to yeah. every after every take trying to give you some notes trying to give you some line reading yeah, yeah. but really you just gotta let us play because we know we fucked up and, yeah. and, and by the yeah. like, take three, okay, we got a good one in, and now we can play around. And and that's where, yeah. like, really some of the magic comes from. Comedians are dark, man. You guys have, like, such darkness in you. So I'm always <laughs> just looking like, how can I hit that darkness vein, you know, or get it in there so it's, like, a little, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that, that's the main thing I'm going for. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think one of the prime examples was uh, I, I have a few little scenes in this in this episode, but... When I was looking on the satellite battles, you know, on yeah, the screen, yeah. I was like, yeah. And and that's a moment when you really see Chan get loose, jumping on Vandevelt, like, uh, you know, swag. dirty dancing. Yeah. That was fun. That was cool. And and, and I love what you did, D, because um, you're like, man, he's kind of like the cool one. Maybe everybody got headphones on, but he doesn't. Yeah, Which exactly, even yeah. for me coming in, I was like, okay, I'm just going to play the straight man scientist. Sure, I want to add layers. But those are the kind of little things that adds layers to the character. Mm-hmm. yeah no it's like everybody and like the thing to play with and it's like everybody has like authority like differently 
Mm-hmm. And so I like Chan, like in his authority, like he knows, you know, he doesn't have to like let you know that he knows, but he just has this, this kind of calm swag about him. Mm-hmm. And then Mallory's authority is it's this more like encyclopedic, you know, I'm going to run down for you, the moon and actually, you know, a BB tear is all we need to simulate and like, like make you feel stupid kind of funny. And then yeah. Mayor's authority is in like the pomp, it's in the uniform, it's in the posture, it's like, it's in the voice that, you know, Steve created this like voice. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it's like interesting. Let everybody wear their authority like differently and like, let them have it. And like Tawny's is in like this, like, I'm going to pilot this plane. It's like in like, um, this work ethic, it's this know-how and like, uh, yeah, fuck, I'm sorry, F Tony. It's like, <laughs> it's like this kind of like emotional oiliness, you know? So he has this kind of slick, I guess, is he supposed to be like Kushner or Kushner-esque? I don't know, but it's that's kind of like wormy. I don't know. So it's like letting everybody have their kind of superpower and like, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Did you watch uh, any movies to like war movies and stuff to figure out how to shoot you know, a little war film? No, but it's funny. Oh, you know what? Uh, well, Apocalypse Now. So it's like, mm. it's like, how, like, how can you make this like dusty <laughs> Apocalypse Now, like real like chaos, you know, like and so Apocalypse Now was like the thing. Uh-huh. And then like Kelly, who's our first AD, was amazing. And so mm-hmm. we put together this like shooting like strategy mm-hmm. of like, okay, here's the imagined action, kind of like football plays. Uh-huh. And then like, where does that mean in terms of where we have to be like in the shooting day and staging and all that? Kelly, that's the part where it was so fascinating to run into you during your prep. It was, it was when, it, like I say, it was that, it was the physicality. Okay, so the little filmmaking that I've done, uh, what I feel is it's like, it's a confrontation with physical reality, right? It's like, yeah. hey, this is a neat thing I just invented. Vision. Now let's go out in the physical world. Is there a place that looks anything like this? Not really. Uh, you know, okay, so how do we adapt? You know, is, we, is there electricity that we can plug in? All that shit. But you had figured out like what we never knew on the page, which was like, where are the humans? Where right. what are they doing? You had, you had, it was really like a little playpen for you where you had obstacles and where they would be hiding and it was it was quite interesting and and uh i wonder because i think for directors this must come from a very deep place it's not like you get to do this often enough that you go okay this is my how to film a war in a sandbox playbook right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a series of of like attitudes and processes that you bring to it is it something like that kind of yeah so it's like for the opening it's like Space Force is like scared, you know, so they're going to start bunched behind a rock, you know, so it's mm-hmm. like the first story is like Space Force not ready, Air Force is ready. So Air Force is like spread in the frame, we're swooping toward them mm-hmm. and Space Force is like static and they're like all like huddled up. So it's like playing with that. Then there's like the whole story of like Obi and Julio. So it's like, it's like you break like in like mini stories and then there's like the, um, I'm forgetting Tani's character's name, uh, Tani and Ali, Punky. yeah. How, yeah. yeah, and so then there, there's like that kind of story where they're trying to one up each other. And so like when you break the space battle down, like mm-hmm. these are these little mini battles happening on this one big field. And, you know, how, how, how choreographed was that? Were, were you like Vince Lombardi drawing out plays like this character's ghost this? Because we yeah. had a lot of stunt people and stunt coordinators on there, too. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I had like little I had these little like I get like these like dividers, you know, that have like scene like you know, like legal dividers, like the scene numbers. And then I drew my little oval, my little bad drawings and I had my cool. little barriers. And so it's totally like they're about here, they're there. Then they go from this thing to this thing. And, you know, Air Force is coming this way. So no, it's totally like it's overplanned. Honestly, I think, you know, after we got to like take 20s, like, okay, like fuck the plan. Like, let's just like, <laughs> stories. But it was like overplanned, but you kind of need it because on the day we're hot, we're spread out, it's sandy. Right. <laughs> they're wearing like balloon vests um yeah but honestly shooting the this the um the kind of bad the like the command center was just as hard uh-huh uh-huh you still got to get these different positions different reactions like walking people back so neither was easier like <laughs> honestly that fucking command room was just as hard as you know the field so it was, like, yeah too- you hear that tawny i don't yeah. care if you're hot <laughs> It was hard work in the command room in a studio with air conditioning, man. It was like hot, man. And, and like you're figuring out like where the lines are, like where the relationships, like where does Mallory exactly. need to be relative yeah. to you? Like where does um our guy, um uh who's the guy who's like the mole? Or wait, can we see on the podcast? Yes. Yuri? Yeah. Yuri, right? yeah. Um, yeah, or, no. Yuri, wait, wait. I'm oh, Baxter? Up. Baxter, yeah. yeah. It's like where's Baxter relative to, you know, seeing this? So it's like, it's like, mm. you know, you're trying to create all these lines between the characters so that then mm-hmm. you can over there you can like start to like 
connect them, like just like on the battlefield. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you brought up a, one of my favorite relationships uh, of this episode is the Kiki and Angela Ali thing. She yeah. is so capable, but then you got this one other badass that's checking her. How, yeah. how did that all come about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, like, so like when I read that, it seemed like about like emotional intelligence. And so Angela is super like technical, super buttoned up, whatever. But it's like the relational thing is like her next up to being a leader. Mm-hmm. And then and then Kiki's character had like that already. She had that kind of like she knows how to like relate to people so she can like re- relate to F. Tony even when he's telling a bad joke about bitches. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. She knows how to, like, fire a gun. Like She seems like she's been there, done that. She's a she's battle-tested, and Angela is, like, the A student in school. She's got the theory, yeah. Exactly. It's like me yeah. playing ping-pong. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's the great Funky Johnson. Uh, yes, so Ke- good. <laughs> Kiki's played by Funky. Yeah. Oh, man, like we love Funky so much. We really created, you know, a part for her. She's not really in the main cast, but we just loved her so much in the auditions. Oh, is that how it worked? Who did she audition for? Did she audition for Angela in the beginning or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. She was a, a contender for Angela for sure. She auditioned for you, Jimmy. She was, she was <laughs> Yeah, for Dr. Chan, Chan. yeah. She was this close. <laughs> I mean, nobody could beat Tawny. Tawny was just, uh, you know, she's just got star power in that role for sure. But but we just wanted to create something for Punky Johnson, um, who, if she's listening, please uh, call my agent. I will do the Punky Johnson show in four seconds if you ask. Wow. Me. Hey, Punky. Yeah, that's We're it. Supposed to talk, man. I she's love Punky. Great. She's a yeah. great comedian. She's a stand up. Yeah, know? she's a real original voice. And just, uh, just something about her presence I love. Yeah, like you want to be around her. And like that was what was cool about your script is like you like you want to you like you want more of this like budding friendship, you know, like what's like, where is this going to go? You know? Yeah. Yeah. They were so cute together. Yeah. They can learn a lot from each other. It's good. Like you want to put, them, <laughs> you want to put like them in a helicopter together and yes. like just like record. Oh, that there, there's an idea somewhere. And yeah. D, you directed this one. And of course, the next one, uh, yeah. I don't want to give too much away. So one of my yeah. f- favorite relationships um, is uh, me and Fuck Tony's, you know, in the next episode. And there was just so much comedy of that. So Brent, maybe you can speak to this also. And D, uh, what what was the ideation of that? What, how did you guys come up with like, okay, let's let these two hang out? You know, we just knew it'd be funny to put Jimmy and, and uh, Ben together. And you, your guys' energies are so opposite and and immediately that was funny right you know what d was capturing with you in your brainstorming scenes where just the the hilarious unimaginative straightforward guy and the way yeah. over the top you know dude i i was reading the script which i was i guess i'm not very used to i'm like ben so uh the the the, the comedy is i'm not funny here so i gotta try to be not funny at all that's right. Straight man. But it worked. I, I really thought that that was the, the beauty of that relationship. You guys nailed it in the first, you know, frame. Oh, and at the end, yeah. it was so sweet about, uh, you know, him giving Tony a piece of cheesecake. They complete the art because in the beginning, I, I remember one of the notes you gave me, D, was like, hey, don't even look at him. You don't want to yeah. you don't want to <laughs> waste no time yeah. on this guy when he's asking for ecstasy. So I didn't even yeah. look at him when I'm shaving that uh, yeah. aloe plant. And then yeah. at the end, completely comes around with become like really sweet buddies. I love that moment. Oh, that's, that was amazing. All of you. D, I remember the shots you used. And I wonder if this was, if you'd ever shot a scene this way, because of course the, the thing of directing TV is this ticking clock is just crushing you, right? You don't have time and you'd love to get a hundred shots. You can, and at one point, and this was the last shot of an exhausting day. And, and I was like, how is she going to do this? And you were like, camera here, camera here. You, and, and I was like, what? How? And then you got like the three, you had them both facing camera. Which was so yep. smart. Uh, right. So you get one. Was that a, is that yeah. a setup you'd used before? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like the indie film thing where you get like the like the like ninety degree the cameras up and you can get both. And like for for Tony, because his energy is so like frantic and like moving, it's like it's nice to have him like constantly panning the frame and wiping the other shot. Mm-hmm. And like you know, Doctor Chan is like solid, steady, you know, static, like not moving. So then the combination of them makes it like dizzying, where it's like steady, pace, 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 and nervous energy. And like F Tony, like part of the arc, like like you're saying, it's like I feel like I read it as you know he goes from going to get over on Doctor Chan, like he's totally going to take an idea and then use it and like climb on him. Mm-hmm. So actually, through the course of the, the the badness, they actually are on the team. You know what I mean? By the time they're getting like yelled at with their 
you know, with the gift they've chosen. That was my favorite. One of my favorite scenes was uh, the two shot with me and Tony pitching to Sekdaf. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was so fun. And it's so loose when you can get just a two shot, you know, without yeah. worrying because you can now play off of each other. Exactly. You know? And you guys are actually a team. Like you're actually like, it's like, mm-hmm. you're like, like Chan is into it now. This thing. Yes. Like, like, yeah. spirit, he's like, no, this could work for me. Like, this is good. And like, you know, Tony goes into used car salesman mode and it's like, great. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and Brent, uh, with Chan, there's a few moments, which I love was like the little OCD cutting <laughs> the cheesecake in exactly 27 pieces. I think that's what the script said, right? Yes. Three by nine, 27 pieces. Greg Davis pitched that specifically. And it was like, he just, Greg went into his own OCD brain for that. Beat. <laughs> Does he cut cheesecakes in 27 pieces? No, but he can, he can access that part of his mind. He's definitely a guy who can do that if necessary. I loved it. And even as an actor, I know I'm talking a little bit about episode six, but since we have you guys here, um, as an actor, it, it calmed me down. It was meditative, which I'm sure is for Chan. Wow. But for me also, I have, I guess, mild ADD when I was cutting it because now you focus in on the act of it and then the dialogue <laughs> becomes second nature. Huh. You know, you're not worrying about how you deliver in the words, which I thought was such a gift for an actor. When that prop first came out, remember the first version that came out? It was like a Rubik's Cube. Oh. It was like, what the fuck? What I felt that? bad for the prop team. They keep having to reset the cheesecake and yeah. we only had about a few cheesecakes and they have to like kind of paste them together. Yeah. When it came <laughs> out, I was like, what is that? I'm like scared. Prop yeah. department almost shut down over the cheesecake. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. they, I've never heard anybody like take a beat more than uh, when we were like, no, it has to actually be 27 pieces. And the guy just looks me in the eyes. Like just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like dead eyed, yeah. We'll give it a shot, sir. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um. So here we're gonna play a little clip. Malkovich actually said in one of the uh, press junket things, it's one of his favorite things when he sees the Air Force people <laughs> flipping and doing really <laughs> nimble yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. outside. Because we hired a bunch of gymnasts, yeah. and then we found the Lockheed exoskeleton super bulky. So this is when Mark goes outside and he's uh, having a conversation with Mallory. Let's take a listen. You picked the wrong exoskeleton on purpose, didn't you? What? You couldn't help it, huh? You hate the whole idea of war games, space flag. Space should be a zone of wonder, not of conflict and death. Now, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think it's a moral issue. I think you're scared. I think that you stink at sports, and a long time ago you decided that if you can't win, you're not gonna play. What are you talking about? Oh, I can just see it now. Little nerdy Mallory sitting in the nurse's office pretending to have a tummy ache so he doesn't get picked last for basketball. My father was a diplomat. I went to the American school in Geneva. We downhill skied. Oh, so you were captain of the ski team, huh? Fuck you, Mark. It's so great to see those two stand toe to toe. And 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 where that episode, because that was in act one, right, Brent? And then to see where that ends up in act three, where Mallory comes in and saved the day. It was awesome. Yeah. You know, we were discovering it as we wrote it. We we had asked ourselves, what are the backstory of these guys? And uh, and that's what came out. Private school for, for Mallory uh, was discovered in this episode for sure. Yeah, and he talks about it later, too, uh, about certain very specific characters in his private school. I love all that specific backstory stuff. And uh, captain of the ski team. And then we actually find out he's actually really good at basketball. Hopefully hopefully we see that in action. Oh, yeah. No, we're talking about putting the basketball hoop up in uh, outside the main little building there. So, yeah, for sure. I would love to play some hoop with Malkovich. I feel like he'll be <laughs> great, too, to be honest. There should be like a patch for that. Like after he wins, like he gets like the space flag patch. There should be like a basketball, I like, kick your ass. It's just physics patch. Like, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So before we bring in our third guest, um, I'm a big admirer of both of you. And I asked Greg and Steve, I asked Malkovich, I asked Allison Jones the same question. Uh, Brent, like I said, you're, uh, you're a great comedy teacher, not just a great writer, because not every great writer can be a teacher. You know, Like Michael Jordan, I'm sure he'll be a terrible coach. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you're honestly so encouraging and you break down everything into tiny pieces. So my question for you is, how did you learn it yourself? Uh, did you have a great teacher like someone like you and what are maybe some advice for young uh writers oh boy you're you're coming at me where i live here uh you know i i had no talent as a comedy writer i can tell you that i was not (laughs) allowed to watch television in my entire life my mom hated tv and so i did not really watch tv until i graduated from college 
Um, I, I, my aspiration was to be a short story writer, you know, where the big bucks are there. You know, and, uh, and I was so lucky. I, I happened to have a friend in high school whose mom uh, is Susan Harris, who created the Golden Girls. And as I, w- wow. I was like, I'll, I'll be a journalist. I'll, I'll write freaking so far. Anything. Is there any writing job? And she, but she was the only connection I had anywhere. And she gave me the greatest advice ever for for writing and, and really, you know, for writing comedy, but art in general. She 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 read my terrible first spec script, which was an awful Murphy Brown, which uh, it, it was so it was so bad. And she read it and she goes, she goes, Brown, I'm going to tell you three things. One, silly isn't funny. I was like, what? And because she was in that that James L. Brooks, like Gary Marshall, you know, realistic dialogue for which is ahead school. of its time at that point. Right. It's a kind of writing that that is the the tastemaker kind of writing. Uh, she said. Um, Write the way people talk, which is also like, what? Don't flip the words around and try to make a little clever soup of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, SAT words. Uh, no, write the way people talk. Uh, and then she said, write about what's difficult for you, even painful, and trust mm. that it will come out funny. And mm. it's, I've never heard better. It was the greatest piece of advice I ever got. That's so wow. true because so much comedy comes from pain. And I think Steve said this even as an actor. It's like the characters in the show should not know that they're in the comedy. Mm-hmm. So so I guess the lesson here is uh, don't write, don't try to be funny. Just try to be real and let the comedy play. And let it come out funny. I mean, don't you don't want to police against funny. You know, it'll come out funny. But it's it's yeah. interesting that if you aim at the serious and naturalistic, oddly it comes out funny if you know you're writing a comedy. Yeah. yeah. And, and D, I guess kind of the same question for you, because you have such a prolific body of work already, uh, film and television. Um, and so many of your stories are so authentic and great. So what do you have? Uh, what, what's your advice for some young filmmakers out there? I mean, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to steal like my wife's advice and use that because she's a she, she's a nonfiction writer. And so mm. she kind of taught me it's like the situation is not the story, you know? So it's like, you know, you can have a great situation, but you may not have a story. So it's figuring out like what that is. And like, you know, just in crafting scenes, like if two characters in a room, like just figuring out why they're in their room, like, and the reason can't be circumstantial. It can't be they're in the room because a phone call is happening. It's like anybody can walk away from any conversation at like any time. So Mm. two people are sustaining something, just trying for yourself to figure out like why they're having that conversation Hmm. because it can't be that the door is locked. You know what I mean? It, it's got it. It can't be like a circumstantial thing because then that then you have plot holes and this undoes itself. So, so the circumstance and situation, those are more like complications. Would that would that be a right way? Where story it has to be coming from something internal? Because I know Brent, uh, in your class, you broke down what story really means, which is very hard to explain. Well, you know, we're doing a certain kind of story. Half hour storytelling for TV. You can do a very simple formula is there's just not that many pages, right? If it's you do an A and B and a C story in, a, in 22 minutes, everybody gets about seven minutes of story. So, or a little more in the A story, but, but, you know, the television episode is well-designed for two characters have a conflict that resolves, you know, and mm-hmm. that's fun for actors to play always. If you can find some reason for that to happen, it always ends up being the spine of, of, of stories. Now, having said that, you know, stories can be infinitely complicated too, and they can start one way and go another way. And, and Greg is a great one to talk about story with because he really likes the unpredictable ending. He just loves it when you go, I'm a sophisticated viewer. I do not really know where this is going. He loves that feeling. And you'll notice that in his work. Uh, that That's the that's the Greg brand story-wise. Yeah, yeah. And, and and a great example you're saying is when stories dovetail at the end, like uh, the business school episode in The Office, which is brilliant. Thank you. Episode six of this, right? It's like the situation is they need to buy POTUS a birthday present, but the real story is like, you know, Chan wants to prove his value beyond like what people are seeing of him, you know, like yeah. Tony wants to like prove like, like, like wants to like prove his like alpha. It's like, you know, like the story is this deeper thing that they're trying to do or like episode five, like the situation is we have this scrimmage or whatever, but the real story is that like uh, Naird really needs to like um, believe in himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Believe, believe in his team. Like that's the story. You know, yes. needs to learn to trust other people. That's the story. The the situation running around popping balloons. You know what I mean? Like that's you know like that's that a situation thing. and circumstance, and the story is a relatable human story. Yeah, yeah. It's like self belief, like self. You know, like you know. So 
It's like mm-hmm. the stakes are higher because if this, if this doesn't work, maybe he's going to resign. Maybe he's going to like, you know, say, you know what? I can't do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. this rival is better than me. So like that kind of shit. Yeah, That's great. It's so hard to explain storytelling. It's like teaching someone how to cook. And they ask you, so what does tasting good mean? It's like, yeah, you got to make it this taste good, but I can't explain it. But I think you guys did such a wonderful job. I, I, it's going to be great. And now joining our conversation, we got a locations manager, Kyle Sucker. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Uh, where are you at? You in L.A.? I am in LA. I'm in uh, Santa Clarita. It's where we're based out of. Yeah, broadcasting from my son's room because I've got three little ones. Kyle, I, I think for a lot of people that don't know, they think Hollywood's Hollywood, but so many things, especially exterior locations, shoot in Santa Clarita, which is like about an hour away from LA. And there's a few mm-hmm. things in this show that's shot there, right? Yeah. So we uh, we found uh, Mark Naird's base home up there because there's a lot of tract homes which give you the kind of that style that almost feels like it's a military base with oh, uh, yeah. similar styles as opposed to. So the exterior of that house is practical. It is. What about mm-hmm. the interior? Is that on the soundstage? No, or? Uh, we shot most of that on location as well. I believe they only built the bedroom on stage as far as I know. I don't know if the, any of the interior downstairs was ever built on stage. Uh, I know that you're talking about if we had further seasons, they might build more of the house out. Yeah. And I know my first day of shooting 101, the launch site, that was also in Santa Clarita. That was. It's a place called Mystery Mesa, yes. uh, which is a cool kind of view where you have like a 360 of mountains. It's just like a flat desert mesa that overlooks. It's about like 300 feet above like the, the street right uh, below it. And so there's kind of like canyons that you can see and it's been in a lot of big movies and, and TV over the years. So yeah, so fun cool fact. Fun fact, yeah. I have a little overlap of the last episode, shooting the last episode of Silicon Valley. Or no, no, uh-huh. the last episode of Silicon Valley airing and then shooting the first episode of Space Force. And in the last season of Silicon Valley, there's an episode called Russ Fest. They built an mm-hmm. entire festival ground called Russ Fest uh, by this character, Russ Hanneman, with Ferris wheels, seatings. It was an incredible production by the set designer. And that was a Mystery Mesa. And then my first day on Space Force was also a Mystery Mesa. Oh, it was like a deja vu experience. Yeah, I'm like, this right? is familiar. It's like going <laughs> to a soundstage now, you know? So, yeah. Uh, it's like you never left. <laughs> yeah. What about the battle scenes uh, for this for this episode? For this episode, we went to a place, and feel free to, to chime in, D. We went out to a place in Simi Valley called Gillibrand uh, Industrial Sands. Yeah. Uh, it's been around since like the 50s. Uh, it's a, like a sand quarry, and we were in a little spot called Little Pit. Uh, I don't know if you ended up using any of the footage, too. There was another place that we called the Great Expanse in the back, too. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a cool spot. Go ahead, D. Oh no, I was saying I, just, I, I had shot a Walmart commercial there, and so I remembered it. So we're in right. the van, like trying to find a place, trying to find a place. And it's like let's go to the fucking sand quarry so we can get like the idea is to try to get like a moon-like environment, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like also like how can you create a stadium and Gillibrand let us do whatever we want? And they yeah, know, like, they move the around for us. So it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the guys there are really helpful, and they they just uh, recreated whatever. D kind of dreamed up. Uh, and I do remember specifically, D, when we were scouting that place with you, that uh, you were almost having a little debate with our effects guy of whether you would get your your ideal shot. And you even yeah, yeah. Uh, did a little stunt work where you jumped yeah, yeah, on yeah. the top of the van. On top of the van. Wow. Like, see, you can't see them over the lip. But yeah. in, in the episode, they didn't even like doing like VFX. So I'm like, we didn't even do any VFX in this episode. It was all yeah. practical, even with a gymnast doing backflips. I know. Oh, there you go. There's supposed to be like rockets like in the background. You, you know? jumped yeah. off of that van, D. That's that's like uh, that's like a ten feet tall van, maybe more. No, I, I climbed like awkwardly up the side of it with like a foot on a mirror get this or something angle crazy or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I was trying to um, we we're trying to figure out how to like basically the, the original idea was to like extend the set into like a set extension thing, so where the bowl appeared to be like even bigger, mm-hmm. and that yeah, was going like to be the cut point. Long. Yeah, to pace the horizon. But they didn't know VFX anyway, so now it's just a little bold. But it's fun though. But they still, still kind of got your shot thing. though. It looked like that whole arrival scene with yeah, with yeah. the Air Force popping up, which is cool. 
Yeah. But yeah, we had we had fun uh, playing out in the sand out there. I, I think I have some more shots of uh, her just being her own little army all by herself. Trying Sliding to sell down the locations. side of the bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we're still trying to get sand out of our boots from there. Um, but yeah, it was cool. And it was a cool scene to shoot there. I think even the guys at Children said it was one of the most uh, intense kind of scenes, even though it's not anything blowing up. It's just mm-hmm. small little BBs. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah. But the locations are so grand and open, which is what made it fun. It's uh, yeah. it's up to the own, uh, everyone's imagination. Kyle, I think location managing is such an interesting job to me because it's one of those jobs that you guys do so much work, but the actors, we never meet you guys. You know, <laughs> That's right. So I guess what's the secret sauce of being a good location manager? Is it like, okay, we need this desert scene. And then you already got five locations in your Rolodex in your head. I mean, that that's part of it for sure. And, and you're, you're always kind of geared up and, and a lot of this too, like the, the, uh, the hangar that we had in this one, mm-hmm. it's actually only been shot once before. It's a newly opened facility that used to be owned by like a Boeing company. It's in Long Beach, right? Yeah, they built the C-17s there. It's so cool. They built yeah. airplanes in there and it was massive. How many square foot or acre was that? Uh, I think they actually said acreage. It's about 930 oh acres. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. They, used, they they pumped out like 250 planes out of that place. But, yeah, as far as location managing go, it's all kind of, you know, we're a little help with the Internet to try and research some of this stuff. But uh, a lot of it's just from experience from finding it and just traveling. I mean, that's why scouts are crucial still these days. You can't just pick it off of a a website all the time you have to you have to send people out to scour the lands and find unique things that you normally wouldn't find on an everyday basis so so is there a website like la casting for actors for locations (laughs) like okay this boeing plant used to be a plant but now it's available for shooting that one i actually just kind of was researching on you know because we were looking for old military bases that uh you know recently become defunct because the ones that really got defunct a long time ago or not were shootable. And uh, mm-hmm. that one kind of just popped up in, in my research. And uh, it just happened to time out that they had been bought by a real estate company taking over. And uh, we kind of geared them towards filming and they opened up to it. So it's really cool. And it was a great look for us. It looks awesome on camera just to see the expanse. Yeah. Oh, it looks Best. wonderful. I, I remember that was my my only day there, uh, uh, yeah. the, me and Mark scene. And I, I, I had somebody take like a, I just bought an iPhone 10 and I had somebody mm-hmm. take a wide angle shot of me in the hangar. It was so freaking cool, man. The grandness yeah. of it. It was oh. great. Yeah. It's like a mile long. I almost wanted to bring some, like a skateboard or some rollerblades. Yeah. <laughs> you needed to walk to lunch, man. And Kyle, yeah. like, really, like, like like sweet talked them because like they didn't want us filming on a certain side of the building yep oh really yeah so boeing still has involvement uh because they're tearing down some of the buildings and they they have to you know they basically had to involve their own uh, employees to be the ones in charge of anything that's being dismantled probably i don't know if it's because it's top secret still or what what it is um so because of that they were kind of saying well you got to shift you all to this side but of course the best spot was <laughs> yeah. right where was right we there. were there uh well we got it we ended up getting it and yeah just that that's another part of our job as locations managers is we're the middleman to try and get what we need mm-hmm. but also keep them happy keep us happy and uh all co-mingle and get out of there and get invited back at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Cause like, cause, cause like being on the scout, it feels like buying a house. You don't want to like, let them know that you like it too much. Yeah. You're like, 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 oh man, I really like it. I really like oh, it. But yeah. it's like, you can't let them know you like it too much. Cause then they're going to like, okay, here's the price. You're like so. you're, you're in the running. We're thinking about it, but we're still exploring. Our, it's like, dating yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. Go in there and talk some shit. It's like, Ooh, this drawer don't really close. Right. I don't know. Exactly. man. That plug is busted, dude. I'm, I'm going to be discreet on who has said it before, but I've actually been on scouts where we're in this place and director walks in and no, no offense to director, but I went, Oh my, this place is a shithole. Said <laughs> so the, the owners right there. Right <laughs> yeah. Keep the shithole down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you guys are really the relationship managers with these buildings and owners. Yeah, we're the, we're the between the public and uh in the film crew, we're the kind of in in between man. 
the middleman for sure. Do you ever have like the neighbors like hit you up like, oh, give me an extra hundred because you're in front of my driveway? Like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a huge thing for sure. It, it happens more in the uh, the wealthy neighborhoods, to be honest. That the the other neighborhoods that I, the, the neighborhoods I like filming in are the ones that need the money because and yeah. they they mm-hmm. enjoy it. It's like an experience for them, and they don't get it as often. Whereas mm-hmm. obviously we're always filming in big houses, so uh, a lot of the neighbors are a little sick of us sometimes. But we we try and always. My my goal, which I always tell people when we're there, is we want to be invited back. Uh-huh. Uh, so we do build a strong relationship with them, uh, so that you you become friends throughout the season as well. Especially in this case, like we're going to someone's personal residence, Mark Nared house, are like best friends with the the owner now. As far as so that way they know that they're comfortable having us back, and uh, we're going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. as well as take care of our crew. <laughs> One of the most interesting reoccurring uh, um, locations in our show is the old Toyota building uh, where John Malkovich works, That where you see him marching out of his office in the lab. Yeah, the old headquarters. Yeah, and in this episode too, uh, at the end when they win the war and they're buying Froyo and stuff, um, how did... So so was that kind of like, because it's eerie going in there. You're like, oh, man, everything looks kind of 90s in there. And it's really yeah. cool with the spiral staircase. People used to work here, but now it's just a movie set, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's owned by a real estate company now. Toyota uh, packed up and left, uh, I think, Texas, their whole headquarters. Uh, so they actually left the whole state a few years back. So I think it's been vacant since like 2017. Uh, and then it just started, uh, becoming like a, a basically a, a mini backlot because it's got a lot of grounds, a lot of cool, uh, interesting buildings, interior and exterior wise. Uh, one thing I, I kept pitching so many times for our show to make it in there and everyone loved it, but it just never seemed to work. It, and I don't remember, D, if you went down there, but there's this cool long tunnel that go it joins two of the buildings that's uh, subterranean. Mm. It's like a, almost like a mile long or something like that. Uh, so if we, if we go back for another season, it'd be cool to, to finally get a scene down there or something like that. I know we almost did it a few times for whatever reason it was time or, or money or whatever. We never made it. It's like, I love the whole like brutalist architecture of the show because all those old mm-hmm. buildings is depressing because it's like this brutalist, like severe kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Sharp the- angles. <laughs> yeah. And it ties into space force because it feels kind of dated, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. somehow like all the locations like made sense with like the look of the show. It felt like, yeah. Like I, I think we didn't have that underground thing, but we had the one, um, what's the, like just off the loading dock. That yeah, kind of like, circular, like, like yeah. that was a cool set where we shot a scene with Brad and you know, he's going down there to the, to the IT department. Like, so there's a lot of cool kind of like spaces like that. Yeah. And they made it in this one with the, with Steve coming out singing in falsetto. I was actually, yeah. I think I was there for that scene. I was trying to, bite my tongue because it's hard not to laugh while he's doing his little big girls don't cl- cry so good <laughs> was that in the script D, or, or was that song chosen after no that was in the script the cry yeah you know it's just about getting like the yeah 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 you know like <laughs> you know yeah. you just want that the, the biggest echoey possible so yeah good. it's a good little character trait for him for sure well great Kyle thanks for joining us I appreciate that yeah no worries thanks for having me I appreciate you guys letting me be a part of it and uh little trip to space for us it's fun hell yeah uh and thank you very much d thank you brent i think this has been a very fun episode guys thanks yeah man it was cool <laughs> take care guys have a good one later man this has been inside joke space force i'm your host jimmy o yang join us again for even more space force right here on the podcast